Well, now my intro is going to sound a little funny because Tiffany said I just came back from Disney and I was going to say three weeks ago I was in Seattle. And so you're all just going to kind of hate the fact that I've been going to these great places, but I'm going to tell you my fun story anyway. So I got to go to Seattle a few weeks ago with some of my girlfriends and we went to Pike Place Market, um, the infamous Pike Place Market. And wait, we went on a food tour. Yes, we stopped at seven different places and ate food, and it was everything that you could imagine. Do it as soon as you can. So um, we started the, the tour, and our guide started to tell us the history of Pike Place Market. And you see, in 1890, the, the, from 1890 to 1900, the population of Seattle doubled from 42,000 to over 80,000. And so all of the farmers and producers in that area, they were having trouble distributing their food and getting it to all of the people because this population boom had taken over. And, and so wholesalers came in and wholesalers started helping the farmers sell their produce. And as you know, wholesalers started taking a little percentage and a commission here and a commission there. And, and before you knew it, in 1906, in one year, the price of onions rose from 10 cents a pound to a dollar a pound, over a thousand percent increase in one year. So this did no good to the farmers. It made the people very frustrated because they could no longer afford good produce. And so a city councilman proposed the idea of a public market. And on August 17th, 1907, the first wagon, the first farmer came down to the public market, opened up, and he sold out within minutes, as you can imagine. And within a week, um, 70 different farmers had their carts down there on this newly formed Pike Place public market. And, and that is how things began. You see, you could go to the farmers and you could, you could meet one and, and get to know them and you could buy some strawberries here or you could go down the way and buy some cucumbers from the other guy. And, um, but then you would come back and you would get to know this family and, oh, you're the ones who, who grew those strawberries that we love. Or at Pike Place Market, they have these peaches called OMG peaches. And I literally ate one and went, oh my gosh. <laughs> And there's a reason, and I wanted to develop a relationship with them. And so they would get to know these producers and get to know them personally. And, and once you have trust built with, with over the strawberries, then you would buy more from them. And then you would get to know their family, and you would spend time together, and then you would want to buy more from them. And before long, your confidence was growing, and your trust was built in this producer. And that became the founding goal and still remains the mission today of Pike Place Market, that you can come and not just buy those OMG peaches, but I can stand there and have a conversation with the actual producer and farmer who raised those peaches. Now tell me, does that not build incredible trust and relationship when you can talk to him face to face? And so... We all have seen that, that famous sign of the public market, right? We know this sign, but, but I've missed several times. In the top right corner, y'all see what that says? Meet the producer. Because you see, their goal, they realized that it wasn't just about the money. The people wanted to have that relationship. And now you can go to Pike Place Market, this basically infinitely powerful marketplace, because it now has over 500 50 stalls at the market. And so anything you need, you can find there in that marketplace. And you can also go 
and build a relationship and meet the person who is providing you with your daily bread. Does that sound like the God that we know? That we can go to him each day, we can have a relationship with him, get to know him, build trust, and he is the one who is caring for us and meeting our needs. He truly is the ultimate producer, and so we can go and meet the producer. You know, when we begin to learn about God, we learn that he is intimately powerful. We explore his marketplace of unending characteristics, and we can taste and see that he is good. You know, nothing is impossible for him. He has the universe and the heavens under his hand. He is almighty. He is creator of heaven and earth. But this creator, he also knows us full well. You know, he knows me as his daughter. He knows the numbers of hair, the number of hairs on my head. And he knows how many fell out onto the bathroom floor this morning when I brushed my hair because he knows me full well. He knows the fears that haunt me. He knows the motivations that move me. And yet he still desires relationship with me. God the Father, he is the first person of the Trinity. Now the Trinity is that we believe that God is made up of three individual persons. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And therefore, God the Father is a person, not as human because he's still God, but he is, he's a person as in personhood, as in his individuality. And he is a personal God the Father. And we're going to be talking more about that in the coming weeks as we explore the Trinity and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But today, we'll just start with God the Father, which is the first line of our Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. The creator of heaven and earth, he is infinitely powerful. And as God the Father Almighty, he is intimately personal. But so what? I mean, that's great, but how does that matter to us? Let's keep going. You know, someone who knew uh, God the Father as powerful and personal was King David, because King David was a man after God's own heart. And David had seen God move on his behalf through his entire life um, on behalf of David personally, on behalf of the kingdom. And it was near David's, um, near the end of David's life that he wrote this Psalm, Psalm 8, that we're going to be in today. So you can turn in your Bible to Psalm 8. We're going to be referring to it a lot, or you can just follow along on the screen. I'm going to read through it. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. 
And you know, after reading this, I, I tried to picture what David had experienced that would lead him to write this. And it made me think about my own childhood when I first started learning about who God was and his characteristics. And I grew up on a farm, and so I um, always had this idea in my mind of this symbiotic relationship between God and the land and farmers. Because as farmers, we would go to church and we would do our best to do right and to obey God, and, and we would worship him and we would pray and ask for blessings and And then God would bless us and he would send rain for us and he would keep away the hail from our crops and and then the land would grow and produce and we would take our crop and we would harvest it and then we would take it back to the church and give our tithe as the first fruits and we would do our best and we would work hard and we would praise God and worship him and ask for blessing and God would send rain and, and then the land would respond and you see where this is going? I had this idea in my mind of just this cycle that we all had this relationship where we all worked together. And then (laughs) I left the farm. You see, we didn't get to vacation much because the weather and crops really don't just give you paid time off. So we didn't go very far very often. And so when I married Joel, we went out to see his cousins in San Francisco. And we left San Francisco and considering that I had never really experienced the ocean because Joel's like the Gulf of Mexico is not the ocean, um, we drove up the, um, the coast to Big Sur. And so I remember I, there was this lookout and I walked out on this lookout. It was above Muir Beach and it, it walked out right above the ocean and the wind was blowing like crazy that day. And so my hair was blowing and I couldn't really stand up and I was just kind of standing there trying to take it in. And, and with the wind blowing, the, the waves were crashing against the rocks and it was the most magnificent sound. And, and as I was standing there trying to brace myself in the middle of God's creation, I realized I am so small and insignificant. And whereas at home, I would always worship God and ask for his blessing, and and I anticipated that it was my asking that God gave blessing, here I am speechless, not saying a word. And yet the wind and the waves and the rocks were praising God's name. And I could hear him being glorified by his creation. You see way out there on the end, that's where I was standing. It was incredible. And his glory, his creation, that it all cried out had nothing at all to do with me. But I could stand there and just listen and see his glory and his majesty and his incredible magnitude. And it was that magnitude that David had seen and that David wrote about. Look back at verse one. It says, David sees that the universe is proclaiming the glory of God. And he says, when I see the heavens, your glory is set even above them. And then look at verse three. It says, when I look at your heavens and the work of your fingers... You know, commentators are quick to point out that it doesn't say the work of your hands, the work of your arms, any of this. It says the work of your fingers, as if he was making a tiny model of the earth. Now, I want you to 
to put this kind of in perspective, okay? Let's think about the Milky Way, all right? The Milky Way, our galaxy, let's say it's the size of North America, all right? That's comprehensible for, for us. And so the Milky Way is the size of North America. And if it was, then our solar system would be the size of this coffee cup. And if our solar system is the size of this coffee cup, then Earth would be just a, just a little speck of coffee that dripped on here. And yet, there are over 100 billion galaxies out there. 100 billion galaxies that we can't even see. Y'all, that's a number with 11 zeros. <laughs> We can't even begin to comprehend the magnitude of that. And yet God made it with his fingers. He is an infinitely powerful God. So how does that matter for you and me? You see, there's more to God than just producer and master creator. And David knew that. You see, it's in God's title as creator that everything begins. The creation story is more than just the account. And this passage shows us our relationship to him. So look back um, at verse 4 to see how our God is intimately personal. David says, what is man that you are mindful of him and son of man that you care for him? Now, I don't... I think David probably knows what man is. I don't think that's exactly what he's asking here. But if we look at the verses ahead, you see David had just spent all this time looking at the magnitude of God and talking about his glory above the heavens and how great and mighty he is. And then he puts himself as man next to God and goes, what is man that you care for us? And I think David is asking a question that a lot of us ask. We, we see this incredible creator, God, who has made a hundred billion galaxies that we can't even see. He can part the oceans with just thinking about it. What do I mean to this God? I mean, our planet is the speck of coffee on this mug I'm nothing compared to him. Do I even matter to him? Do I even have a purpose here? Now, if you're feeling a little insignificant at this point, rest assured you're not alone. Um, I have to confess that the past couple of months, I have been feeling overlooked by God. And now looking from the outside, if you were my Facebook friend and saw all those Disney World pictures, you would think that I've got all my stuff together and life is good and it's just clicking down and going according to plan. I mean, surely if they let me up here, I've got to have something going for myself, right? I do. It's Jesus. Um, thank you, Jesus. But what I don't have going for me is, um, or what I don't have together is that I've been going to my friends and and verbally processing through some frustrations that I have. Frustrations with God. And I mean, maybe it's not processing. Maybe it's more like venting about it. Okay, okay, it's whining and complaining to my friends. I said it. Okay, I'm whining and complaining about the fact that I feel like 
God had these blessings that I was expecting that he was going to give them to me. And instead he gave them to someone else. When, when our IVF failed. And then last night I go see my, one of my best friends who just had a baby. Or when I look at friends that I used to work with and where they are now, the friends I graduated from college. I mean, y'all, it's all the things I can't even explain them because it doesn't make sense because it was just how I was feeling at the time. Well, still feeling at times. And, and you know what? I didn't want to go to God about these things because I knew what God was going to say. And so I didn't want to talk to him about these things. So I talked to my friends or wise counsel too. Because, see, growing up, I just always felt like God was just, he was this sovereign God who, who was in the sky, and he was in charge, and he was powerful, and, and he, I just had to do what he said. I used to have this picture in my mind that he set up in the stars with a video game controller, just moving us around and watching us go about our way. And, I mean, he thought we were fantastic, because he made us, but he was just controlling us, and... and and that was my view, not very approachable. But as I grew and I, I learned who God is, I knew that I could go to him. And even though these past couple months I didn't really want to hear what he had to say, I knew he would have the right answer. And so I said, so God, do you remember that thing and that that?" that we talked about in that time. And he said, Amy, I am good. Yeah. Okay, but, but that other thing, when is that gonna, he said, Amy, my timing is perfect. Yeah. Okay, but God, that Amy, I am trustworthy. We look into the heavens and see how mighty he is. And yet he comes to us personally and he says, I am trustworthy. And over and over, over, just this morning when I go to him and he reminds me, I am near, Amy. And see, what he, what he didn't do is when I expressed my frustrations, he didn't say, sweetheart, I love you, and you are talented and gifted, and you're going to be... No, he didn't talk about me. He talked about himself. Growing up, a verse my mom would always quote, I think it's in Exodus. I don't know, I'm sorry. Um, she would say, God is not a man that he would lie or change his mind. And I have stood on that truth over and over because God will remain true to who he is. And that is that he is a good father. Let's look back and see what David, how David feels about us. In um, four through six, um, look at five. He says, you made man a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. Y'all look at these words that he's using, crown, glory, honor, dominion. Those are characteristics of God. And yet God ascribes his characteristics to us. 
You see, in Genesis 1, it tells us that we were made in the image of God. Every person, every human being ever created is infinitely precious to our intimately personal God. And as Alice said last week, the only reason I can be fully committed to God is because he is first fully committed to me. We know he is fully committed to us because we bear his image. He has signed his name to the piece of art and his mark is on us. You see, when he made us image bearers, he put everything on the table. He put his reputation on the table so that we would know that he loves us. And ladies, when you love someone, don't you want to be close to them? Don't you want to talk to them and, and be in relationship with them? You know, I, I'm guilty of saying, I love God. And then I go, but I don't want to talk to you. You know, we say that. We say that we love him. We say that we know him. We, we come in here and we study about him and we, we sing about him. But have we truly met him? Do you know the producer? You see, with God, he's much more than just a story of creation and some do's and don'ts. He is a person who is intimately personal. And my friend and coworker, Ryan Sanders, he wrote a book called Unbelievable. And it's a book um, which is an examination about the unlikely beauty of Christianity. And he describes God the Father like this. As if his superlatives like omniscient and omnipotent weren't enough, the Christian God is also personal. That is, he has a personality. Mind you, that personality is a combination of ultimate virtues, but he does have a personality. He laughs, cares, weeps, mocks, rejoices, desires, and acts. He is not a system or a set of rules to be followed. He is a person to know. Imagine if Joel, my husband, when we were dating, if he came to me and said, I'm interested in you. I want to get to know you and have a relationship with you. And I say, okay, let's go to coffee. And he goes, oh, no, 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 no. I looked up Google and Facebook, and so I know everything I need to know about you. We don't need to talk face-to-face. -face. It doesn't make sense, does it? He doesn't know me. He doesn't know all those things I don't put on Facebook. <laughs> and so God wants us to come to him not just to learn about him, but to be with him. That's the essence of the gospel. Now, I would say that if we went on, out on the street and asked some people what they thought Christianity was, I think we'd get some interesting answers. Um, I bet we all have different answers in this room. Some people would say that it's acknowledging that God is life. Um, Christianity is going to church and worshiping. It's, it's trying to live better or getting inspiration from the Bible. Or, you know, Jesus came to show us how to live. Jesus came to forgive our sins. But if we asked Jesus why he came, Jesus, the one reason why you came, he would say, I came, I died, I was raised, and I am seated at the right hand of the Father so that you may know him. This is the essence of the gospel. In John 17, 3, Jesus is praying to the Father. And he says, he's praying about us and for us. And he said, and this is eternal life, that they, you and me, that they know that you are the only true God 
and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That they may know that you are the only true God. And you see some of Paul's great prayers when he was praying for the church, praying for us, he wasn't asking for blessings or healing or a good job or a nice car. In Ephesians 3, Paul prays for the people to know God's glory and immeasurable power. And then on in chapter 3, he prays that we would know, know the love of God. And this know word in Greek, it's gnosko, and it means not just to know by overhearing, it means to personally engage. It means to know by experience. Not to just read about it, not just to study about it, but to go up to God and personally engage with him so that we would know his love. Not to go to wise counsel because we're frustrated, but to go to God and wait for him to reveal who he is to us. Now, I'm gonna venture to say that that we wouldn't be talking about this if it was just a natural thing for us to want to enter into this no-holds-barred relationship with God and be like, all right, I'm in, all in, you can have everything, because that's really scary. And so... I think sometimes our problem with God or what what holds us back is that God is too personal. He wants access to everything. You know, when we enter into a relationship with someone, we, we give of ourselves. And as we give of ourselves, we begin to lose ourselves. And when I entered into a marriage, I gave of myself through sharing my bank account. And and. And you can really tell someone's motivations by their bank account. And so my husband saw lots of shoes. <laughs> and it was true, and I didn't really want him to know about that. But if we were going to be married and in a relationship, then I had to show him everything. And you see, it's like that with the Lord. You know, he doesn't just want bits and pieces of what we want to give him. I mean, In your lesson, we already talked about, he already knows it all. There's nothing to hide from him. So what are we keeping back from the Lord? Is there anything that you haven't given him access to? This intimately personal, tender God. You see, something that keeps us um, from handing it over is, is, I mean, I really like control. I don't know about you. I'm sure none of you are like that. But I love control and doing things my way. And and when you love someone, you might start doing things that look kind of silly. (laughs) And I don't want to look silly. And so I'm like, God, you stay over there. I'm, I'm good. You don't need to come over here. But the fact is God wants access to our souls. And a relationship is complete access. It is personal. He wants all of you and all of you. You see, we can do that with confidence because he went first. He already gave us all of himself. He sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross to be payment for our sins so that we might know him. And his Holy Spirit lives within us so that we might know him. He has given us all of himself. 
Have we given him access? Have we given him all of ourselves? Do you live like you believe this? Is this someone that we just want to give a tiny corner of our lives to? Who is man that we are worthy to say God does not deserve our lives? Who are we to say we can hold back from this infinitely powerful God? And so you see what we believe is that God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, has produced beauty and glory and desires to know us as children. He is an infinitely powerful creator, but he is an intimately personal father. And so we ask, why does it matter? It matters because, number one, God as father and creator is central to our belief as Christians. The very central belief that we hold, the reason Jesus came is so that we might know God. In Jeremiah 9.23, it says, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. You see, we, wisdom and might and riches are nothing compared to knowing God the Father. People have been trying to prove this for centuries. And as far as I know, it hasn't been proven why are we trying? There is nothing, nothing more that matters than knowing God. Do you live as though this is true? Number two, God as father and creator is central to how we live out his commandment to love one another. You see, when we understand that all people are made in his image and that he desires intimate personal relationship with every single person who bears his image, that should change how we treat people and treat others. And when we realize that, we begin to have a a gospel sense of social justice. And friends, this isn't politics. This is the gospel. That regardless of background, of ethnicity, of socioeconomic status, any kind of status you can imagine, God has put his image on every one of us. And who are we to say that that image is not worth loving well? If you are worth loving well as an image bearer, so are all of the others. Do you live as though this is true? And number three, God as father and creator points us to the son, Jesus Christ. Look back at verse four. It says, who is the son of man that you care for him? Now a translation and interpretation of this word care, it could also mean that you visit him or that you intentionally care for. You see, God has visited us. David knew that a Messiah was coming and God has been with us through his son and his Holy Spirit and he has made a way for that relationship to prosper. Jesus who knew no sin became sin so that we might know the righteousness of God. 
But let's not get ahead of ourselves because Jesus is on deck for next week. God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, is inviting us in. The producer, he stands before us with his infinite power. He has put his image on us and he reveals himself through all of creation and he has shown us how we are valuable and that we matter and that he desires intimate relationship with us. He is the producer of all that is good and right and beautiful. Have you met the producer? Do you live as if you have? Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for your word that you have come down to meet us and that you desire to have relationship with us face to face. We love you, Lord. Amen.